Bonjour and hello. This is Dusty Rhodes and you're welcome to the Mimosa Matters Winning Against Cancer podcast. The short series where people around us or connected with Mimosa Matters share their stories. Today we're speaking with Mike, who after a lifetime travelling the world, retired to the south of France. In his story, he shares the importance of mentorship and perhaps with regret his avoidance of doctors. He's very frank with his story and the simplicity of the message he would give his younger self may surprise you. I started out by asking Mike where in the world it all began. Right. Romania 19, uh, when I was 50. So 25 years ago, I was given the first indication through other tests that were being run on me that I might have the propensity to later in life suffer from prostate cancer. I did what any normal man of that age would do. I ignored it. It was a very silly thing to do with, with hindsight. Whether it would have made a big difference in the long run is something that, that we can never tell. So when I got to France, I had symptoms which started to add up. And being an inveterate user of the internet, I thought, I'd better go and see a doctor. I did. I was recommended to an oncologist. He did a few tests. And he said, you should have a biopsy. Now, I've heard about prostate biopsies, and I immediately did it again. I ignored it because I didn't like the sound of it. Describe to me what you thought it was going to be. Well, a prostate biopsy? Yeah. <laughs> somebody, sticking lots of pin, stub, somebody sticking lots of needles in your prostate. <laughs> it's a very uncomfortable process. If you read the American websites... It's not if you go to come to France and you have general anesthetic. Ah, okay. Elsewhere, they tend to do it without the anesthetic. <laughs> so you had uh, read about it and had natural fears and you went, no. What happened next? Yep. Um, a few, a couple of years passed by and um, I was, the symptoms hadn't gone away. Um, and so I went back, I asked my GP for a different oncologist, and I was recommended to somebody in Cannes. He looked at my test results, we had a long interview, and he said, I really think now you should do, have a biopsy. And he told me the procedure, and Mary and I discussed it, and it was decided that I should have the biopsy. So that's... Uh, an operation lasts a couple of hours, I think, maybe an hour only, in a, in Saint Mougin, Saint Clinic in Mougin, and um, so I had the biopsy under general anaesthetic, and three days later, in an interview with him in his um, office in uh, Cannes, we were given the news that all twelve needles had produced a. A result that showed cancer. Now, the that moment is fairly traumatic. Even if 
as I had been warned that it was quite likely that I was going to test positive for cancer. And yes, you cry. Thank goodness Marilyn was there with me. And the oncologist was a very sympathetic person. He was gentle and kind, and it made a big difference to the way that I felt, and I'm sure the way that I reacted. Um, but had it not been for having company in the form of my wife, I think I would have been mm, more emotional. Marilyn helped me get over it. On, on that day, what thoughts were going through your mind when you heard the words? Um, what thoughts were going through my mind? I wish I'd done something about this sooner. Um, what happens next is the question that you, you really you need to know the answer to. And thereby hangs the next part of the story in that the next test you go to have to go through is to find out whether the cancer has spread. For this, you have to go to Zank and you go through, a th um, what is it? Um, Sintography or something like that. It's basically having a radioactive substance injected in you and you go through a, 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 an MRI, a CAT scan. And it identifies areas where the cancer may have spread to. That can change your outlook on life completely. You have to wait. I think we waited a half an hour for the result. It's as quick as that. Happily, I had a completely negative result. The cancer had not spread. So I thought to myself, ha, I timed it just right. I've got cancer, but it hasn't spread anywhere. <laughs> so we can move on. The relief at that moment was incredible. Because the first place cancer goes to normally is in your bones. And once it's in your bones or your liver, anywhere else like that, your intestines, then your life expectancy is reduced significantly. As far as I was concerned, my oncologist then said, your life expectancy is probably going to be as long as you can make it. That's a good thing to hear. But he said, in the meantime, we're going to have to do a radical prostectomy, which means removing the whole of your prostate, which is a fairly serious operation under general anesthetic, takes three hours, spend three or four days in hospital afterwards, and a couple of weeks recuperating. Um, you then go through three monthly testing, having uh, blood tests, and he will monitor your results. In my case, after three years, my test results started to get worse again. And I had to go through radio, radiotherapy for uh, three to four weeks, going to uh, the Zank clinic every day by taxi, 
all paid for by the state. I, had, I hasten to add, because I have the wonderful green card, Vital. And also, which is uh, an interesting experience, hormone therapy, which involves two hormone injections, which last you three months. So the whole process takes six months. And, um, well, I'm not going to go into the details. Obviously, Google it. <laughs> it's, it, it, it does change you. Luckily, the effects wear off after a while. Um, and then you go back on to three monthly analysis, blood tests, and so on. And happily, still to this day, my tests are absolutely perfect. So it looks as though throughout that whole process, now they've managed to kill it, which is a wonderful feeling. So when you started, you had all of these imaginings about what the process could be, and it was scary. And at the far end of it, as you retell it, it kind of sounds like very, you make it sound like I went in to have my appendix done. Well, I've had that. <laughs> where, where is the truth, though, between those two things? I mean, how bad was it really? Oh, while you're actually going through the process, um, you become incredibly emotional about it. And here's where I had real help. Um, first of all, obviously from Mary Lynn and her moral support, her love and care and understanding of what I might be feeling was absolutely important. But aside from that, I also found a mentor, somebody who I'd become quite close to through a charity that I work with who had gone through exactly the same process me, as me, but about a year before. And his guidance and his stories about how he went through it gave me enormous encouragement and strength. And funnily enough, I've been able to offer the same support to somebody else who's going through it now. Because you worry, you read. Oh. The internet's a wonderful thing, but can be extremely worrying. It's better to hear it from a person face to face. Where did you find that mentor? Uh, purely by chance. I was playing uh, through the charity I worked with. He was the, then also on the committee. And we played bull together. Old man's bull in Lorore every Friday. And uh, I, I suppose once I got over the first emotion, I became quite talkative about the fact that I was, I had cancer. I tried not to bore people with it because everybody goes, oh, uh, now what do we say? But this guy said, oh, well, I suppose it's prostate cancer. And I said, yes, because that's what we men suffer from. And he said, oh, I've done all that. And we sat down for half an hour after lunch, because we always used to have a pizza and rosé after lunch. And he told me about his experience. And it was wonderful just to be able to share it with somebody. As you were going through all of that, it's a journey with highs and with lows, 
give me the lows first before you give me the highs. The the lows are um, psychological, most definitely, because one of the effects of removal of your prostate without going into lots of detail is you I certainly felt that I was less of a man. The highs afterwards come through feeling stronger because you believe that you've beaten the worst thing on earth and there's nothing else that can touch you now. But that mental issue that I am not what I used to be is quite significant because it's a very important part of your body and the processes that it controls. And even because, you know, younger men who are listening to this, why kind of think, you know, kind of as, as, as once you're over 50, that's it. <laughs> These things don't matter anymore. But of course, that's not true. Um, no, it, it does it ever come, kind of come back? Is, or is it gone forever? These are dis, uh, it's a very interesting point that you raise with the age. Because if you are diagnosed with severe prostate cancer early, you, you, you have some interesting decisions to make with, if you, let's suppose you're married or you have a girlfriend. You have to make some interesting decisions because having the radical operation is definitely life-changing. You may delay. I mean, I did it by being in denial. I delayed. You may make a conscious decision to delay because you want to have a full life for longer. A full life in the respect of which we're talking at the moment. Once you get older, that life is... Of, of a lower importance in the great scheme of things. Because prostate cancer, although the general view is that anything after 50, you should start to be tested. That is the general age where you should, you, you may well start to f see symptoms. You, it, it can strike you at that age. It may not strike you until you're 80. So it's no respecter of age. It's unlikely that you'll get it when you're 20, 30, or 40. Mm -hmm. It seems to be 50 is the moment in your life where you have to start taking it seriously. But some people still have a very active life at 50 from that perspective, and they want to keep it. I did. Did you have much experience of the French health system before this came to visit you? Um, I had some because I had um, a quite serious operation earlier in the same year that I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, I had quite a part of my colon removed. So I was fully confident with the French healthcare system and in particular the, um, the facilities at Zank the consultants um, center, which is there as well, and all the testing that they can do there. It's a fabulous facility. I think if I'd been in UK, I'd be still waiting possibly for the, for the operation. 
How was it with the language barrier? Um, from the oncologist point of view, none at all. He spoke English. Um, in the hospital, yes, you you need to speak a bit of French to uh, make sure you're understood. But from my point of view, that I, I speak reasonable French, not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but when needs must, I can speak French. Um, so not really a problem. Inside Zank, yes, you you tend to speak French, which is fair enough. <laughs> Well, absolutely. That's the one thing that would worry me uh, is, you know, my command of the language. And if I was in the hospital and but everybody I know who said it has says, no, they're they're fantastic. And, and somebody pointed out that a lot of these doctors study through English anyway. Let me ask you about the period of time between you said early 50s and when you actually uh, kind of got the, the bad news because you had ignored it when when you were first told this could be a thing for you. You went, nah, 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 nah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. And then, and then it actually happened and, and you probably went, uh-oh. Uh, what, what kind of period of time did you leave there? I was, I, I, I think, if my memory serves me correctly, I got the first indication that it might happen when I was, was 50. We moved here when I was 65. So a space of 15 years... I had this thought lurking in the back of my head that at some point in time, I was going to have to face up to this almost without a doubt. And with the benefit of hindsight, would you now tell yourself at 50, go and get it looked at, will you? Um, it, it's a very good question. I think I would... I prefer the way I did it. What I should have done was when I turned 60, I should have taken it more seriously. Um, That would have possibly meant that we caught it earlier. And leaving it for another five years, although I have to say, I have been incredibly lucky. It might have been that we got to it at that moment when it had spread from my prostate into my bones and other organs. Then I would have felt really silly. Oh, well, slightly more than silly, as you might imagine. The fact that I I only tested positive within my pancreas, uh, prostate, sorry, um, you sort of go, wow, that was close, but I did it. (laughs) Now, I've got to go through the consequences. Maybe they would have been exactly the same as I would have had to have gone through when I was 50, 55, 60. But I went through another 10 years without having serious operations and so on and so forth. And, And no disrespect to where I was living, but I might have had to have left that country to have the sort of operations that I've had. I, I got very good advice for many medical things there, but nothing in comparison with what's available in France. I think France are very proactive as well, because I've just turned 50 and I had a letter going, you should get a test. <laughs> 
Here's how you do it. They, it's free. Yep. It's like, yes, absolutely. And mark my words, you should go and have the test. It's, you know, it, it's a nothing. It's just another blood test. A lot of us who are living here are out of reach of our family circle because we've emigrated. We've left our hometown where we grew up and family and friends and our social network would be smaller. When something like this happens to you, you really rely on on family and friends. Did you miss people from home or did you have enough people here to be able to support you? Um, I'm in a slightly odd situation. Apart from my son and my daughter, my son lives in London. My daughter at the time was living in Papua New Guinea and then Hong Kong. Um, and their immediate families. I have um, no family friends other than the, the, the ones I've mentioned. My whole social world is here in France and a little bit back in Bucharest where my wife's family is. So, uh, no, I had everything I needed here. Once my immediate, my, my son and daughter had been told by Marilyn that I had cancer. They were there to support me. My daughter even flew in from uh, Papua New Guinea after I'd had the major operation and surprised me to show support and so on. But no, I had everything that I needed here by way of support. And in, in an odd sort of way, because Marilyn was a part of Mimosa, I think had started already, um, I almost became... a um, a member of Mimosa because of it. <laughs> uh, I'd have to double check on the dates there as to when Mimosa started, but I was a sort of, you know, definitely part and parcel of Mimosa because everything's about cancer. After you have the diagnosis, uh, and immediately your nearest and dearest are the ones who, who find out first, of course, but then it becomes part of your life and you do have to mention it in the very least to other people as, as you go through life. What kind of reactions did you prefer to get from people? Yeah, I mean, you, I don't think it's a question of which would you prefer to get. I mean, it, yes, it's nice, of course, to get sympathy. But when you, when you well, from my point of view, I, I don't think I was asking for sympathy if I mentioned it to somebody outside the family. Uh, if it if it came up in a, in for any reason in a conversation, and I said, "Yeah, well, I'm going through a, a process because," sometimes you'd get the reaction of yes, sympathy overflowing. Um, other times it would be almost embarrassment because they didn't know what to do, they don't know how to respond. It's it's like if somebody walks, you know, you know turns up and says, I'm dying. You know, I'll be dead next week. You don't know what to do. Well, that's what happened with some people, even though, as I said, you, you, you don't necessarily say it to somebody because you want sympathy. Maybe Mary Len would say, well, of course, that's what you wanted. She has a completely different view of <laughs> how, we, how we men are. We may try to look tough, but really we're babies inside. Um, 
it's not something that you're going to say to somebody who isn't a very, very close friend. Or who may have already found out and they raised the subject. And that happened on a couple of occasions. You know, maybe Marilyn had mentioned it to somebody. Maybe at Mimosa they'd mentioned it. Maybe, I know, friends of the, the family uh, had mentioned it. And they say, oh, I'm terribly sorry. I hear, you know, you're going through a problem. You say, yep, but it's all under control. You know, it's under control until you get to the next step. Um, and, and the next step may be in six months' time, for all I know, when I have another test, and maybe my PSA result will have moved. At the moment, for the last three years, my PSA has been unmeasurable. It's below a certain level. The moment it pokes its nose above that measurable thing, you'll go, oh, now what? Because then presumably I've got to go back and start talking to an oncologist and we'll have more regular, more often reviews. You'll have to go through other tests to see why it started all over again. Because the unfortunate thing about the whole process with prostate cancer in particular is that the operation itself can disturb cells which may have been lying dormant for years and spark an acceleration process. But it, it's, um, what am I trying to liken it to? Um, oh, there, there are various other things that you can contract by association uh, that take time for the symptoms to actually show. There was a, a story the other day that I was reading about to do with asbestosis whereby the symptoms only begin to show 25 years after your exposure. So this can happen with the prostate as well, that these cells, which you, you, you can't remove every cell related to the prostate, it's, it's impossible. So something may be still lurking there, and you have to be conscious of that. And that's why ignoring going to have your blood test or doing something like that is, is silly, because you need to know. There's every, every year something improves in the way that you can be treated. So how long are you clear now? Um, well, since the prostate test went below the measurable level three years. If somebody is listening to this now and they want to look up stuff on the internet, because I, I'm a guy and the way I would look at it is if there was something niggling me, I would look it up on the internet first. Now, I know because it's part of my job to what to believe and what not to believe. I think it's very interesting what you say about there's certain websites you read and you go, ah, and then there's others that will be more close to the truth. What would your advice be if somebody wants to look things up on the internet, where to go? Um, be sure of the source um, and always talk to somebody in person. Your oncologist should be the first place to go or your GP. Sorry, let's reverse that. Your GP is the first place to go and then he will refer you to an oncologist if you have any worries at all. And if you are not happy, always get a second opinion. It's your right. If that's what gives you peace of mind or confirmation 
that even though you didn't like what the first opinion was, that it was the right opinion. One thing to say, though, going back to what I was saying about improvement, there's been the the whole thing about female cancer. It used to be not talked about enough. The same applies to men's prostate cancer. It is the biggest killer of men still, bar, bar everything. It is now much more talked about. And that's a good thing. There are sites available on the internet, chat groups about people who go through experiences and so on. It is out there in the open now, and people are really trying to do something about it. And if the success that the um, excess, the improvement in understanding and the treatment for women's cancer can be followed with with men's cancer, then they will begin to reduce the number of men that die at 60, 70, 80 considerably. And that'll be a wonderful thing. And that is a terrific note and a very positive note to wrap up with. Mike, thank you for sharing your story and your positivity. My pleasure, Dusty. Thank you. My thanks to Mike again for sharing so openly with us about his encounter with cancer. Our story today is brought to you by Mimosa Matters, an association of people from all over Europe who've chosen to base themselves on the French Riviera and who want to give back to the local community which has embraced them. For more information about the association and its work to fight cancer in the south of France, go to mimosamatters.org. Until next time... Hey, Dusty Rhodes.